First up, I wanted to talk to you about NIMBYism. Residents in Christchurch are up in arms about ugly, intensive housing developments popping up in their neighbourhoods. A number of them have started a petition in Christchurch. National MP David Bennett is also behind a petition in Hamilton to halt a Kainga order housing development as, as it says in the petition, this is a high-density development in a low-density suburban area that would change the character of the suburb. I can totally understand how residents would feel when we were living in Grey Lynn and Well Park College, which was a big um, college on a large piece of land. It went from one side of the block to the other. It was a huge piece of land. When that was sold, we assumed that there was going to be an apartment complex put up there. Why wouldn't there be? There was a desperate need for, for people to be housed within the city. It was a huge piece of land. It was close to the city. You could cycle. You could walk. There were buses. It made absolute sense that there would be an apartment building built there, which would mean the end of our privacy. We lived in a cottage-cum-villa with a backyard and the swimming pool then, and you would have felt like a specimen in a Petri dish with people being able to peer down on top of you. It would have totally ruined any kind of privacy or sense of sanctuary that we felt when we were in the backyard. But we understood that it made perfect sense to put an apartment block there, and we thought we'd see how it went. It would probably be a couple of years. Uh, as it turned out, beautiful single-level dwellings were put there. Uh, apparently it was, you know, the character of the suburb had to be preserved so developers weren't able to put the, the apartment buildings there. I still think they should have, even though we would have probably sold up, a maybe, probably. Um, it was a perfect site for an apartment building if you were looking to create lower cost housing for people in the central city. I know that in Point Chev, which is a lovely seaside suburb, a little further out from Greyland, but still very close to the central city, they are getting these six-storey apartment blocks popping up next to family homes, and they don't like it. And again, understandable. But if the only reason to oppose the development is that you don't like it, it's simply not a good enough reason, not when people are desperate to get into their own homes in the city. And I know there are those who say, well, move out of the city. Great. If you could, you would. But we still need those workers. We need the nurses. We need the teachers. We need the police officers. We need the essential services. We need those people in central cities. And they cannot be, ex well, I suppose they do. Many, I know, do travel very, very, very long ways to get to work, which means losing about four hours of every day to simply commuting. The answer would be to create more intensive housing in the central city. There is no reason for it to be ugly. I can understand why people are opposed to intensification when you look around and see what's happened. When you look at the monstrosity that is the Auckland central city, I don't know, for those of you out of Auckland, I don't know how many of you have travelled to Auckland in recent times. It is horrific. There has been absolutely no thought to design of these buildings, and the council is entirely responsible for approving these designs. They are basically pens for humans, stacking in as many humans as you possibly can to maximise your profit. Poorly built, 
bits falling off, ugly, blocking out the sky, no green spaces. If I had my way, I would nuke the lot of them and start again. So I can understand why people feel wary, cautious, fearful of intensification. But we need more homes. We need more thoughtfully planned, well-designed, low-cost homes for humans, and that cannot be impossible. Even the National Party is now backing the government's national policy statement on urban development, and that will stop councils from enforcing height limits of less than six storeys near major transit routes in an attempt to intensify the cities. But they have to be able to create well-designed, thoughtful buildings. And I find it impossible to believe that this cannot be done just because all we've seen of intensification, for the most part, in the inner city is ugliness. doesn't mean it can't be done. There's a suburb called Hobsonville in Auckland, and that's been done thoughtfully. Places for children, markets like the uh, French markets where you can go and buy your food and your veggies, cycleways, green spaces, but lots of houses packed into a small space. That's been done well. Stonefields, again, another suburb, seems to have been done well. Perhaps you can tell me about one in your city where it has been done well, where the thoughts of what people need to enjoy life are at top of mind, not just cramming as many humans as possible into a space so you can make as much money as possible. Now, the petitions are up and underway, and as I say, you can understand them. I don't think they're right, unless you can prove that the housing is so ugly that it's going to be a blot on the landscape forevermore. And interestingly, successful NIMBYs, not in my backyarders, seem to come from the leafier, more expensive suburbs. They know the system. They know how to play the system. There's usually a couple of fancy-pants lawyers who live in those areas who can understand the workings of the courts, and they will take cases, they will appeal, they will do what they can to stop their beautiful suburbs being blighted. Those who live in the perhaps less well-off suburbs, don't seem to have the same success and for those reasons. But one of the more potent weapons of NIMBYs may be done away with under the changes that were announced yesterday to the RMA, and that's the RMA appeals process, blocking consents. And David Parker has said he is not going to commit to keeping it, and certainly there's going to be a higher threshold before people can block any kind of developments. So I guess what I'd ask, do you accept... If you are a homeowner, do you accept that if you are living on a single dwelling with a bit of land, that an apartment block building going up next to you is reasonable? Do you accept that if you live in a suburb that is relatively close to the city or relatively close to a major transit route, that there are going to have to be more houses built there and We're going to have to go up, not out. Because again, it looks like the beautiful arable land around the cities is being swallowed up. Meaning we won't be able to swallow up fruit and veg that we've grown ourselves because we've used all this rich, fertile soil 
to put housing developments. So better to go up than out. And if it can be thoughtfully designed with people's well-being in mind, do you have a problem with it? Does it also impact on your house price? I imagined it would have. I imagined that our house in Greylin would have gone down in value if we had an apartment building next door with people being able to peer into your backyard. But I don't know because we never had to face that. Does having a school or a you know, a preschool centre or a major arterial route or an apartment building next to your home actually drive down the price in this crazy market? Surely not. And have you ever been affected by developments? Any kind of developments, as I said, like the childcare centres or the cycleways or whatever it might be, the apartment buildings. Have you been personally affected? And if so, what did you do about it? Did you go through the appeals process? Did you get out of Dodge, sell up and move? How did it affect you if development went on that you didn't like? It's going to be affecting more and more of us over the coming years. I'd just be interested to hear how those of you who have already been affected by it managed. And those of you involved in building and planning and development, is there any excuse for some of the monstrosities in the inner city? And can we be sure that they will never, ever be allowed to happen again? The National Party is now backing the government's national policy statement on urban development, which will stop councils from enforcing height limits of less than six storeys near major transit routes in an an attempt to intensify cities, while at the same time National MPs are organising petitions against some housing developments. National Party leader Judith Collins joins me now. A very good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Kerry. I can understand why, you know, uh, your MPs are acting for their constituents who are concerned about the developments At the same time, you understand as a party the need for creating more homes. There's an urgency to this. Well, there certainly is. And I think some of the the concerns are not just that there's um, more homes being built or proposed, but that uh, there's not the infrastructure in place or that uh, what's being put in place is uh, very high density without any um, services that should be um, put in, for instance, in the Hamilton one, the Kyangor or state housing area uh, suddenly being increased. Yeah, it's difficult though, isn't it? I mean, we've got failing mm. infrastructure all over the country. You know, we yep. really, really need to, and sh- that should have started 20-odd years ago, so that's successive governments mm. should have, you know, grasped well, yeah. the initial there and made it happen. But at the same time, we're putting up more houses on top of failing infrastructure. Yeah, so you're quite right, and you end up with a situation. If you look at, say, this Dunedin lead in the water yes. situation, it's not that Dunedin is a booming housing, um, new housing area, but the fact is, is that pipes are under the ground, and people forget about them. And uh, no mayor that I can think of has ever been uh, had a plaque to show in a big publicity stunt about opening a new drain. Um, mm. But those are the sorts of things that councils do have to do, and that is their primary job. And yet we see them too busy 
wandering around talking about sister cities instead of just getting on and doing the job which their ratepayers expect them to do. We've got the same, the same situation in Wellington. Same mm-hmm. situation in Wellington with water sewerage being ending up out into the harbour um, and the council very happy to ping or penalise any private person who would do anything like that, but actually themselves are one of the worst offenders. At the same time, the council say this is too big for us. This, this should yeah. be some central oversight. Well, I think that's true. Um, and, you know, look, given their due, there are some councils do a very, very good job on this, um, particularly some of the smaller councils, strangely enough. And, um, and there's some of the issues that some of the larger councils have particularly the big urbans have sort of forgotten sometimes is that they do need the funding to do this. And I think there's a, you know, that's why we we campaigned on infrastructure bank during the election uh, to actually help put public and private money together to help get some big infrastructure projects done. Um, but there are opportunities that are available, but the government needs to open itself up to the prospect of doing funding that is not just a council or a government funding it. But there are other issues around council funding and we're working on that because we think it's important to have, you know, not just bash councils around but actually understand the concerns and their issues. Well, some of their issues too must be that they have absolutely no sense of aesthetic or the understanding of the human spirit as well when you look at some of the buildings that have been approved in the wider Auckland region, and I can only speak for Auckland, I haven't seen the sort of hideous eyesores in Wellington or Christchurch, but apparently they're coming. Um, How, given that aesthetic is so subjective, how do you ensure that the buildings that are being built are future-proofed, like with solar energy and with, you know, recycling and with, that they're built near where people can actually get onto public transport? Because some of these housing developments with no cars allowed are built miles from public transport. But it's also, they shouldn't they shouldn't be happening like that. It is, um, you know, I've certainly seen it in my electorate in Papakura, uh, whole subdivisions with almost no parking, or what there is is one tiny park for a place with, um, you know, five bedrooms. How is that ever going to work? And as you rightly say, miles away from any public transport. Um, but the other thing too is that these tiny little roads that they're allowed to build uh, to work with now, which, you know, if, if you have a fire, um, for instance, a fire mm. engine probably can't get down the road if there's a car parked on the side of the road. Police mm. can't get in there. And the police in my electorate have been constantly telling this to uh, the planners and they've been told, oh, no, no, it doesn't matter. Um, but the other stupid thing they keep doing is building or allowing subdivisions with these tiny little walkways. And walkways just actually, they're used by burglars. It's a, it's a really unsafe thing to do. And that's mm. all part of actually having the planners talk to the people who have to provide emergency services, but actually also the people who want to live or get a house. I, I find um, you know, I, I find myself just utterly agreeing with you when it comes to things like there is something better than just boxes stuck on boxes. And it's, it's not only about housing people, it's also about housing people in a safe way, that in a place where they want to stay. Yeah, where their souls aren't being destroyed by the second, yeah. because basically they're in 
rumpty, poorly, shoddily yeah. built pens. Correct. So how do we and how I do we ensure that well, that happens? Like we, well, somebody I'm, else has mentioned too that in Britain, you know, there there is an example of poor public housing mm. or low cost housing and examples mm. of good where there's double glazing, where there's soundproofing between the walls yeah. so the neighbours aren't hearing each other. Yeah, there are opportunities to do that. And I think the you know a lot there are new regulations obviously out for some years now around double glazing and all those sorts of things and soundproofing. But it's not just that. It's it's actually accepting that beauty in the environment is a good thing. Um, and it does lead to people feeling better, therefore acting better, all those sorts of things. So it's understanding that. So rather than just um, jamming everything together, thinking about how how people can have high-density housing, that is good for the soul as well as good for housing. And that's not impossible. We see op, you know examples of it. And then we see you know also examples of the opposite. I mean, if we want to look at something like high-density public housing that doesn't work, um, look at those tenement blocks in the UK, for instance, mm. and the social problems that come from that. Absolutely appalling. And, um, you know, there was at least they had an excuse of having had uh, whole cities you know, almost raised to the ground during World War Two and had to build housing fast. But it's it actually also creates other issues. So, you know, get the architects in, talk to them, and get them to do it because they actually are the experts on this. And I just think we we can do so much better because we have space like anything. We were very bigger than the whole United Kingdom. We've got a population smaller than Melbourne. Uh, come on, we've got space. It's how we use it. But it's also about understanding we need to have enough density to get the public transport system actually usable. Agreed. Good to talk. First chat of the year, I believe. So yes. uh, nice to hear from you, and I hope you have a great 2021. Yes. Thank you very much, Kerry, and the same to you.